You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Tony Telecasts from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. The greater the good, the harder the blow. When going to hide, you know how to get there. And how to get back. And eat first. Welcome, listeners, to our mini-series about the Tonys, bringing you all the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history. In each podcast episode, we watch a telecast of a previous Tony Awards, not only the performances, but the opening and the speeches to see how it all reflects on the season as a whole. So let's dive in and talk about the 1988 Tony Awards. Yes. The 42nd Annual Tony Awards were held on June 5th, 1988 at Broadway's Minskoff Theater and hosted by Angela Lansbury, at that time a four-time Tony Award winner for Best Actress in a Musical. Heading into the ceremony were three shows tied for the most nominations, Into the Woods, The Phantom of the Opera, and the Patti Lapone-helmed Lincoln Center Revival of Anything Goes. The season's other two nominated musicals, Romance, Romance, and Serafina, both had five nominations. Also in the pack for Best Revival was a Joel Grey-led revival of Cabaret. Hmm. But aside from the telecast itself, what was happening at the time, Aaron? 1987 and 88 marked the beginning of the end of an era on the world stage. President Ronald Reagan was rounding out his last year in office with Dukakis and H.W. Bush running to be his successor, and the Cold War was still alive and well, though soon nearing its own demise three years later. While the latter was present in this season's chess, the rest of the Broadway landscape was dealing with its own invasion from the British, namely Cameron Mackintosh. With last season's Tony winner Les Miserables at the Broadway, Cats comfortably prowling along in its fifth year at the Winter Garden, and Starlet Express skating smoothly at the Gershwin, it seemed like nothing would temper the tempestuous force of the West End. On more serious notes, as the AIDS crisis continued to rage across the nation, 1987 and 1988 marked the founding of two organizations that would eventually become one— Equity Fights AIDS in October of 87, and Broadway Cares in February of 88. This season also marked the loss of two titans in the Broadway industry, Michael Bennett in July and Bob Fosse in September, both in 1987. Both were mentioned in the broadcast, and Bennett was given an end-of-show tribute by past and present company members of Dreamgirls and A Chorus Line. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. 
All right, as we always do, let's first pour one out for the non-nominated musicals. And this year, there were so many non-nominated musicals. Many, and they were all unequivocal flops in terms of their running time. I feel like there were a lot of Broadway productions in general that weren't nominated. It was just a big season, and you could only fill so many slots, I guess. You can only fill so many slots. I want to bring up a few of those non-nominated shows yeah now most infamous is probably carrie yes the musical that had five performances at the august wilson with betty buckley charlotte dembois and scott wise in the cast Mm. almost equally known as a flop is chess Chess. yeah which was at the imperial had judy kuhn and judy mclean um but ran for 68 performances so significantly better yeah isn't that wild that's all i guess that's not what we wanted i guess not I mean, a Cold War musical, that could be rough. Right. Some of the other short-lived musicals of this season were Male, which starred Michael Rupert and Brian Stokes Mitchell at the Music Box. Work. The Gospel at Colonus, led by Morgan Freeman, played 66 performances at the Lunt Fantan. Wait a second. Morgan Freeman was in a musical? He was like the narrator. He has the messenger. So have you ever, have you seen the movie Camp? Yeah. Duh. Who hasn't? Duh. Well, we're the right age for it. If you're listening to this podcast, you need to pause right now and go watch Camp. Yeah, we'll see you in 90 minutes. Okay, so the opening of Camp is a song from this show, The Gospel of... How Shall I See You Through My Tears is from Gospel at Colonus? Yeah, for sure. Sasha Allen giving you that opening number with like the tears coming down her face. Obsessed. Right. That number is from this show. And so Morgan Freeman, because it's all sort of like a Greek chorus kind of style, uh, he plays, I think, a role called the messenger. So it's uh, I think it's a spoken role. Oh, interesting. In addition, we had Teddy and Alice, which was led by Len Carew and Beth Fowler. It was about Teddy Roosevelt's Nancy Opal played Eleanor Roosevelt. Remember, she was in our one of our flops from last episode, 1998. Oh, you're she right. She was in Triumph of Love. So Nancy Opal, she got that good flop. Late Night Comic played four performances at the Walter Kerr. Okay. And a musical called Rosa, which played 12 performances at the Royal. I don't know much about it, but I'm just going to read from the description on Playbill Vault. Okay. A former prostitute and concentration camp survivor takes care of the children of prostitutes in Paris, including one boy who is searching for his real parents. So a light comedy. A light comedy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't know any of these shows other than the first two we mentioned. Yeah. I mean, we don't really have like four performance, five performance, 12 performance flops in that same way. You think about like the last time it happened, you would say like, oh, it was Glory Days or it was High Fidelity. But even those are more than 10 years ago now. Yeah. I mean, and even like when we consider flops nowadays, aside from like those, they'll go like four months. They'll go like six months. They won't go 12 performances. Yeah. I guess we have more money saved up nowadays. I guess maybe. Okay, let's go to the telecast. First and foremost. We're under two hours. We are under two hours again. It is possible, folks. It is possible. It is possible. And this time we got all the awards. Did you notice that? Well, part of the reason that maybe we got through all the awards is there was no opening number. No opening number. It was like an opening speech. The opening number, quote unquote is Angela Lansbury, our host, performing a monologue about her grandfather giving a labor party speech and how it influenced her to pursue a life in the theater. Behind her, 
dancers mime performances inspired by the shows nominated for the season yes there is no singing and it's not like dancing it's more like posing like walking around like parading it's parading i will say it's very elegant but it's definitely this sort of vondel probe of the stage <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of like an actual number uh. I wonder if we'll ever find out where the jump happens from no opening number to opening number. Oh, sure. Because 91, we still didn't have an opening number, but 98, we did. Mm. So it has to happen in that seven years, right? Theoretically, it does. There's only one way to find out. Uh, Let's talk about some of the winners and their speeches because this, to me, felt like more of a community party than any other Tony Awards that I've seen so far. Oh, I would wholeheartedly agree. I, I even wrote down, I was like, it feels so much chiller than when it's at <laughs> Radio City Music Hall. Maybe it's like the energy that Angela Lansbury brings, or maybe that's just what kind of the Tony Awards was. was. Oh, maybe. Possibly. It was more of like the thing that we do, right? Mm-hmm. One of our very first winners is Judy Kay for playing Carlotta in The Phantom yes. of the Opera. She won, and I was like, wait, Carlotta's a Tony Award-winning role? role? Yeah. <laughs> I'll for sure work her speech is great i love the reference to the role she says you know in that carlotta voice these things do happen i love that <laughs> moment mo first replacement oh my You're gosh ready. here i come non-traditional casting <laughs> you know what phantom of the opera needs is more white men <laughs> Judy Kay says in her speech, I love doing 62 cities in 18 weeks, but to be back here is great. So like she's referencing this sort of like touring life that she had, right? Uh -huh. What did you think about her speech? Anything stick out to you? It was very chill. It was very like communal. But the one thing that really hit it home for me was at the end where she says, and here's to absent friends. Like her speech definitely takes a turn from being oh. light and comedic and happy to this really sentimental moment where she looks up and like holds up her statue and says that. It really struck me deeply because also thinking about when this was, I was like, wait, this is 1988. Oh yeah, it's very much the very beginning of the AIDS crisis, not of AIDS, but- Yeah, and so thinking about that, I was like, wait, because we just took stock of it in 91. Mm -hmm. I was looking around post that, I was like, there are no ribbons yet. And I just had to start wondering. I was like, is this still a silenced issue at this point? Hmm, interesting. Like she can't say it out loud. She's referencing people that she has lost and the people the community has lost. Where in 1988 was the discussion about AIDS at that point? I honestly didn't know. I mean, and then and then re reflecting on that, that like Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, granted as two separate entities, started this year. So I was like, this must have been very heavily on the community's heart at that point. Sure. Well, we're going to get a huge tribute to Michael Bennett towards the end of the telecast. And he passed away from AIDS-related lymphoma. So, oh, you wow. know, we sort of start and end the telecast. Yeah. Okay. These... Best actress categories are stacked, Aaron. <laughs> they are stacked. They really are. Like, you couldn't make this up. No. For best actress in a play, it's Joan Allen, uh -huh. Blythe Danner, uh -huh. Glenda Jackson, uh -huh. and Frances McDormand. <laughs> For best actress in a musical, it's Joanna Gleason, 
Allison Frazier, Patti Lapone, and Judy Kuhn. Judy Kuhn. None of these people are like sort of one hit wonders, right? They're no. all sort of like titans of the theater or yeah. the titans of the performing arts. And you're just like, oh man, I didn't see any of them. So I guess I can't, I can't tell you which was good because they're all really good actors. Exactly. Well, because also like, and no Tino Shade, the Tonys are not above nominating Hollywood for Hollywood's sake. But these, especially in the, in the play category, these actresses are well-proven media. Yeah, they're the performer. real deal. They're the yeah. real deal. Like, I'm just like, and, okay. And like, I none can... of them are only great theater performers. It's like four legends, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Like, because sometimes you'll, like, arguments can be made that people are nominated just because of their, like, star power. Right, sure. These are heavy hitters. Yes. These are heavy hitters. And then the musical category, forget about it. Oh my gosh, can we talk about the amount of people who weren't present? Well, not many people, but like three awards, two people. Literally every time it happened, I wrote, oh, too cool. <laughs> I, I started calling them the two cool Tonys. Cause... Well, two of them for, were for Maria Bjornsson for best scenic design and best costume design of the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, I was I like, I guess you couldn't top over the pond for... I don't know. There was lots of other, like the lighting designer of the Phantom of the Opera was there. I, I, Everybody else was there. Who? Maybe she was having personal issues. Maybe she was having maybe, health maybe. issues. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. But I who was knows? like, yes. you got two of these and you weren't there. Okay. We're just going <laughs> to clock it. I'm clocking it, folks. Clocking it. Let's talk about... The plays. Let's talk about the plays. I want to talk about this telecast loves plays. I Okay. Do you want to explain how this went this time? All right. So how the plays are represented there. This is no B-roll situation. No. There's no like set projection. There were like full two minute scenes yes. performed. Uh-huh. Like John Lithgow and B.D. Wong do a scene from M. Yes. Butterfly. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert: the best play is announced after the best musical. Oh, I, I was, was shocked. I was, I was sh- floored. <laughs> I literally, I literally, was like, because they announced best musical, and I was like, okay, cool, so we're done. And then Lily Tomlin came out. And I said, know, and I was play. like, what is she gonna do? And I, I literally said, what? didn't know. What she- I said, wait, we haven't had this award yet. Yes, as a as. Children of... of children of the 21st century. Yeah, like, I just I assumed like, at that point, yeah, the best play must have been announced like at like minute 35. <laughs> it's probably... Yeah, that I just now. like missed or something. And I and like after it happened, I feel like I remember a story where back in the day, in the days of yore, like the Tonys, the musical and play would like alternate one year after the other. Like one year, like musical would be the last. And then the other year... Play would be the last. And so maybe that's what happened. But a part of me thinks that I just made that story up. So I don't know. <laughs> it's a great story, though. <laughs> what do you think of the performances? Are like full two-minute audition scenes. Of the play performances that we've seen thus far, this is by far my favorite. Me too. It just worked. It just worked. With the exception of three of the four of these plays, this worked really well. Mm-hmm. I'd say Walk in the Woods was a little rough. It was a little rough. That's the one on the park bench with yes. Sam Waterston. Got okay. A very young Sam Waterston, yes. Oh my God, so young. So young. Which you I know was when like, you look and you're like, oh, that looks like a young Sam Waterston. And then you're like, oh, it is oh, a young Sam Waterston. Sam Waterston. <laughs> oh, I know. I like lived. I mean, that performance aside, I was pretty riveted. I was like, okay, these are great scenes to be marketing for these shows. Like, I'm interested to see these shows. 
like when we talk about like a musical having a good Tony Award performance number in it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, M Butterfly has a good Tony Award performance scene in it. Like it was oh, so sure. it was it was clean, it was concise, it was funny, it told you what the show was about, it didn't give away too much. And it totally made me want to see more. And it made me see why BD won. Yeah. Like, it was the perfect scene. Well, and the best part is, too, like, we had a scene from Speed the Plow. If this was a musical, we would have, like, seen all the numbers with Madonna in it. No question. Sure. But because this was a play, and we wanted to represent the play as best as we could. Like, Madonna's in the show. However, we chose this two-man scene with mammoth banter for two minutes straight <laughs> like i was like oh my god like, my first thought i was like wait this is a mammoth show there's got to be so many f-bombs that we're just censoring out right now <laughs> they had to have practically learned a different scene for the tonys My favorite performance of a non-musical at the 1988 Tonys was Madonna presenting the regional <laughs> award for Best Theater to South Coast Repertory. Honestly, maybe say. Okay, so first off, Madonna comes out and she introduces herself saying, I'm Madonna. Which I'm like, work. No, we know. <laughs> like nobody doesn't know who you are. You're Madonna. So she, then she stops herself because the microphone has been like lifted up too short for her. She says into the mic, this microphone is too short, <laughs> tries to fix it and is yelled at by an unseen male voice saying, don't touch that. <laughs> she then responds into the mic. Okay, I'm obeying orders. She goes on, says her speech, stops herself halfway through as she's leaning over this short mic saying, this is ruining my posture. You can feel like the audience is like a little not on her side. Oh, for sure. And then she flips it. She says, I'm being punished for not coming to rehearsal today. And the audience roars and you just feel like their minds. You just feel the tension drop. You can feel the sense of like judgment towards her drop. And it it just was like so perfect. Yeah. It was that line that I was like, this is why you're an icon. (laughs) You have a good, you have a pretty good stage presence. Uh Uh-huh. You're Madonna. Did any other speeches stick out to you, Mo? I loved Stephen Sondheim's speech. Oh, yeah? It sort of reminded me of the Audrey McDonald third win we watched in 1998, where, like, he didn't need to seem as gracious as he was. He seems really gracious sure. to be winning yeah. this uh, award for best score for Into the Woods. I almost think that gra- that graciousness might have been a little bit in response to the applause that the audience gave because arguably this stopped the show for a little while. Mm -hmm. Would you agree or no? I would agree. What we're seeing in real time is the backlash to the British invasion. I thought it would be, that might be what it is because I was like, this was the award that was like really between the two icons. Sure. Yes, the shows are the shows, but like this is legit Sondheim versus Angeloid Webber. Mm-hmm. And Sondheim came out on top, and the American audience loses it. I never really realized that this whole British invasion and the backlash against it had a Tony Awards that was two shows really pitted against each other, right? Mm. The Mm -hmm. most revered British musical theater composer against the most revered American theater composer of the time. Yeah. Right? And like you said, this is an award where we are really saying, do we like Sondheim or do we like Andrew Lloyd Webber? Yeah. Yeah. He seems so grateful. 
he makes a joke out of Lee Remick's presenting joke about anyone can whistle being six of the happiest days of her life. He shouts out his ensemble. He shouts out James Lapine and their Sunday in the Park with George collaboration. Uh And he ends by shouting out his rehearsal pianist, Paul Which is so classy. I was like that. I was like, I mean, you know me. I'm like obviously going to love anybody who shouts out an ensemble. So I was like already melted. But then when he shouted out his rehearsal pianist, I was like, I'm done. (laughs) Stephen Sondheim, you can do no wrong. I want to talk about the passing of Bob Fosse and Michael Bennett. Okay. One who gets an incredible amount of acknowledgement in the show and one who gets some, yeah. but not, I mean, this is showing my bias, but like, sure. I think like as someone who never saw a chorus line on Broadway, never did a chorus line on Broadway, I think of Fosse in 2020 as like more of a musical theater titan than Michael Bennett. That is my own personal bias. Mm -hmm. And so to see this ceremony where Michael Bennett is like lauded, revered Mm -hmm. in an in memoriam tribute. Sure. But then the only mention of Bob Fosse is when Cheetah Rivera uses her presentation to honor Bob Fosse. She absolutely does. When she's presenting best choreography. It's fascinating to me. It's very, it's very... It's very fascinating because towards the beginning of this telecast, I realized that this was the season with the Michael Bennett tribute. I've never seen this before. It's one of my favorite Musical Mondays videos. We'll get there in a second. But knowing that that was coming and then when Cheetah spoke about Bob Fosse, that's when I was like, wait, did they pass away the same year? Because I had no idea. And I couldn't help but be like, okay, what politics were here? And I didn't, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the politics either, but it feels like it must have been. There must be something, right? I mean, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, not that it's like a competition, but Fosse does get get a whole show that's going to win like in a decade or two. But I mean, Chorus Line is still running on Broadway in 1988. It doesn't close until 1990. So it's still, we've got the sort of the show that changed Broadway. Yeah. 13 years earlier is still running. Well, and I'm also wondering if it's also an aspect where, because this is not history at this point, this is real time events. As we saw in Fosse Verdon, he actively tried to leave Broadway behind Mm. and go become a film director, film producer. And so I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. I don't know. This is all speculative. I don't know anything. Let's talk about this number. Let's leave the competition aside. Mm -hmm. Why is this one of Aaron's favorite Musical Mondays videos? Oh, because it's amazing. It's, (laughs) it's, I mean, I have nothing else for you. Hey, okay, 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 let's go. Yes, I've done Chorus Line. I love that show. I love the choreography, blah, 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 blah. I love the history of the show, all the above. And also Dreamgirls is iconic. It's beautiful. I love it. It's wonderful. Seeing the original Dreams singing One Night Only and strutting across the stage, weaved together with chorus line dancers and Donna McKechnie, forget about it. I like was, I live my life. But there's something about watching 70s and 80s performers dance 70s and 80s choreography that is so raw. Mm -hmm. That kind of hunger I think it's thrilling to watch every single one of those people. And then when Donna comes out, it's iconic. I love it. I love every minute of it. Okay. 
Okay, the, we're going to split this into two yeah. parts again. Because there's just too much to talk about. Next episode, yeah. we're going to talk about the nominated performances. And give our Yelp review. Oh, yes, and our Yelp review. At the end of this part one, we're going to randomly select the next Tony Award telecast to watch so you have a full week instead of only four days. Yep. You're welcome, everyone. All right, so here's our fifth Tony Award telecast. So, yeah, so let's select our fifth Tony cast. Tonya cast? <laughs> this is our fifth Tony cast. It's not bad. I know, right? Okay, I put a handful of infamous Tony years, although there are less now, into a basket, and I'm going to pick, drumroll please, Mo. Next week's Tony telecast that we will be watching is from 2009. 2009! Was that in the Heights? Billy Elliot versus Next to Normal. Ooh, okay. All right. To be prepared for our next week's recap, be sure to do your homework with us on the 2009 Tony Awards, but join us on Friday to finish out the 1988 Tony Award recap. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. And by me, Aaron Albano. Special thanks to Wasif Sami for providing the background research for this Broadway season. There are two ways you can be helping the Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Please follow the Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.